My name's Jana and I'm a trainee psychological wellbeing practitioner. I read the Clinical Psychologist Collective book. I found it really interesting about all the different stories um, and how people got to become a clinical psychologist. It just amazed me how many different routes there are to get there and there's no perfect way to become one. And this kind of filled me with confidence that no, I'm not doing it wrong and put less pressure on myself. So if you're feeling a bit uneasy about becoming a clinical psychologist, I definitely recommend this just to put um, yourself at ease and everything will, will be okay. But trust me, you will not put the book down once you start. If you're looking to become a psychologist, then let this be your guide. With this podcast at your side, you'll be on your way to being qualified. It's the Aspiring Psychologist Podcast with Dr. Marianne Trent. Hi, welcome along to the Aspiring Psychologist podcast. I am Dr. Marianne Trent and I'm a qualified clinical psychologist. Thank you so much for tuning in and I hope you'll find today's episode really useful as ever. Today we are thinking about something which is going to be useful for you, probably regardless of what your current role is. So it is clinical notes. We're talking about clinical notes. Um, And whatever role you're doing, if you're working with people, it's likely that there's some element of note taking. So in case you don't know what clinical notes are, I thought I'd give you a little bit of an overview of that to begin with. So when we are working with people, we have certain responsibilities and safeguarding um, actions that we have to take to keep people safe but also it's useful for us to be able to log and discuss um, what has happened in the contacts um, especially if that um, involves risk and that's so that other members of the multidisciplinary team um, can see what's going on if there's a crisis call for example or if there's other members um, of the team involved or if for example you were to go off on sick leave it would be useful to know what had been happening in your sessions. Um, So the main function um, of um, clinical notes is similar to supervision is client safety um, and also your own protection for you to be sort of legally and professionally saying what has happened in a session. So how often do we need to be writing them? When do we write them? How do we write them? Those are all of the questions we're going to be covering today. Um, So in answer to how and when we write them, um, it might well be that you need to follow the guidance um, laid out by whichever employer you're working for. So for example, I think when I was working in an NHS trust most recently, they asked you to get it done within 48 hours, I think. Um, I often found and still find that I am more likely to get it done within the appropriate timeframes if I do it right after the session. So I'm very much still 
a fan of a 50 minute clinical hour and then I use the remaining 10 minutes to write my notes and get that done. I find that if I push it or delay it or for some other reason need to dash out and do something else or get distracted or want a cup of tea um, then um, yeah it's less likely to happen in that timely manner within that day um, and of course our memories are fallible so I would say where possible um, and obviously where your job plan allows it's useful to get it done between sessions and I guess thinking about how you write notes as well can be useful so it might be that you've got a trust phone or uh, a trust tablet and that you can scribble your notes down on that between sessions it might be that you do paper notes still I know that some services still do that um, or it might be that you have to report your notes by entering them into a specific system in the past I've used EPEX care notes and rio um, and yeah you can't always access all of those systems from um, remote um, things like phones um, but it might be worth saying that you might be able to if you've got secure encrypted devices such as um, you know a phone that's been given to you by your trust that you could use the note facility um, to write your notes in there um, so that you can access them later, so that you're using the time you do have in a timely way. Um, so yeah, don't do anything that's not trust compliant. So if your trust doesn't allow you to do that, then don't do that. But I'm always thinking about ways that I can maximize the time that I'm doing so that I'm not repeating things or so that I'm using snippets of time that I've got. So yeah, have a look at your job, have a look at your job plan and see what might make that work for you. We're going to be going through some top tips for um, what to include in your clinical notes um, and how to do it in a way that makes them robust and user friendly, hopefully. Um, you know, it's likely um, that in some cases no one will read them, you know, so if you hold your own clinical responsibility, then, you know, may, maybe no one will read them unless they get called by a court or they get um, requested by the client themselves and then you'll have the fun of redacting um, anything that you can't um, share with the patient, um, which is where you go through with a big thick black marker pen, um, anything that um, can't be shared. Um, so for example, if they've been in a group and you've mentioned the actions of another group member, even if you don't mention the group member's name, you can't put that in because that relates to another client. So you've got to like scrub that out. Um, so yeah, redacting is very fun when you get um, a request for that, either from a court or from the client themselves. And um, you then have to look through years and years of notes that may not even be your own if the person has left the service. So I hope you don't experience that, but you are probably are likely to at some point in your career. So be aware of that term redacting um, because it might well crop up for you. So yes, if you are a trainee listening to this, then it's likely that you don't hold clinical responsibility for your own client work yet. Um, that would usually, as far as I'm aware, that would be held by your clinical supervisor. And similarly, if you're doing forensic um, or um, health, 
that would still be held by um, the qualified psychologist above you. Um, so my first top tip is always speak to your supervisor. So if you're an assistant psychologist, you um, also don't hold clinical responsibility. But if you're a qualified PWP, I believe that you would hold your own clinical responsibility. So nobody would be needing necessarily to cross check your notes. Um, whereas I, ha I have worked in services where my notes have needed to sort of be secondarily signed. So you will need to check in with your individual um, trust requirements and also what is safe and ethical practice for the role that you are in. Another reason that you need to speak to your supervisor is because all supervisors will have different standards and expectations for the way that they like to see clinical notes written and what feels good enough for them. So even if I reference my six different placements that I did on training, all of them had a very different, um, a very different vibe to them and very different expectations. So what was right for number one most certainly wouldn't have been right for number six. Um, so for number six specifically was a psychodynamic placement. And of course, they believe in very detailed notes and also keeping something called process notes too, as well as formulation. So the process for clinical notes was very different than it was, um, for example, when I was working um, with adults. And similarly, when we're working with children, we might need to make even more thorough notes um, to be just you know, ensuring that we're sticking to safeguarding practices and reporting on anything that could potentially lead to a risk. And so one of my next top tips is something that I only discovered when I was newly qualified. Um, and that is, if you are making a decision, um, or if you have had support to make a decision, then you should record that in the notes. But you should also justify how you've come to that decision. So if that's as part of a multidisciplinary team meeting or discussion with your supervisor, you need to be evidencing the rationale for that decision making process. Because if you just write what the decision is, then it's a bit ambiguous about how you got there. But it's a bit like in maths when you were doing maths at school. If you show your workings, then it's clearer in a court of law um, should you need to justify what you're justifying. So always be able to back up why you're suggesting something if you are asked to do it. But um, I sometimes think if I was called to a court um, and the judge asked me to justify something, um, unless it's written down, I can't. I can't just say, well, I was holding that in mind because that's not legally robust. So anything related to risk and decision making needs to be in your notes. So let's take a brief break here and then I'll be back along with my next top tips. Inspiring 
Welcome back. Uh, thank you for sticking with me. I hope you love the jingle. So, um, yes, what I do with my clinical notes these days is that I will document the session number and that might well include um, of how many planned sessions as well. So it might be eight of 20, for example. Or if you don't know how many sessions they're going to be, I would just write what the session number was and obviously whether it was attended or not. Um, also, I would document whether it was attended on time um, and if not, what, what the reasons for that were. Um, might have been my own absence, my, my own lateness. Um, but yes, uh, it doesn't happen so much in private practice. I don't think it's happened ever actually. Um, but certainly when I was in NHS services um, or other, um, other employed services, sometimes it was my responsibility that I, was, I kept a client waiting. So I would um, kind of go through the main points, but not in an exhaustive fashion. So the main points covered, and if there were any pertinent discussion points within that, I would put those in almost as a bullet point um, kind of section. So we discussed um, yada, 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 um, you know, um, that sort of thing. But it was not, it's not exhaustive. Um, I do not work in a psychodynamic way currently, so it's not everything I can remember about a session. Of course, we need to make sure that we've got any elements in there that are related to risk or safeguarding. So if there's an open safeguarding um, case going on for the client that you're working with or someone immediately in their life um, that they are kind of responsible for, then we need to be having that discussion and revisiting that and documenting any changes with relation to safeguarding or any updates in there. And similarly, if there's any elements of risk um, and any, any elements of um, sort of risk taking, um, then you need to be evidencing that and you need to be evidencing if there's a plan to manage that risk, which might well um, link back to any care plan or risk plan that's been done either with you in conjunction with you or with other members of the team or psychiatry. I will also cover um, any agreed action points. So if there's homework or own work to be done or things that the client said they were going to strive to do, then they will be um, they will be noted down so that if and when I need to review those before seeing a cl the client for the next session, I'm quickly up to speed with with what we're um, what we're striving for, what we're aiming for, and what we'd agreed. And it's not necessarily as a way of go, you know checking up on them, but it's thinking about you know I wonder how how you got on with that and what's that been like for you and is there anything you know, new or different since we met last time. That can be a really nice way of exploring that area without making people feel like they're being checked up on. And then I would write the next session date. Um, and that's pretty much it. So they're not super long. Um, like I said, they're 50 minute sessions. Um, and if there's EMDR that I've done, then there will be separate um, paper free paperwork now because I've been using the Remarkable 2 tablet that I really like. So um, I will talk about that in a moment. But um, yeah, there's extra paperwork there. So I would also report that um, separate EMDR paperwork has been made and will be added to the file. So let's have a little think about this Remarkable tablet that I've got. So I've used it to plan today's um, podcast episode. Um, you might not have heard of a paper-free tablet, so it's called 
it's called a remarkable two and it comes with um actually i don't think it does come with it i think you have to buy it separately so i bought this pen separately and it's got a nice little rubber on the end and you can rub stuff out but what i like about it is that so for, for example for the first time yesterday um i made supervision notes on it and then um, i can quickly send those as a pdf um, via email or through a, through a few clicks of the button um, to send it to myself um, and then I can just upload that to the client's clinical notes um, and make a note that um, the uh, supervision notes have been uh, have been added so again you need to check what was trust compliant but I'm always thinking about how to maximize the time that I've got um, so I found that I like supervision I enjoy that process but then having to write separate notes for it um, afterwards, especially when I'm now in private practice, I don't get paid for that time, just felt a bit frustrating. So that's where I'm really liking this paper-free tablet because everything happens within the session and then I, it just saves automatically and then I can just do it with a quick few clicks and save. So um, if you think that might work for you, then you could well discuss that with your supervisor or your manager. I did try initially to try and get on board with that happening with um, an iPad, but I could not get it to do what I wanted to do and for it to remain as functional. So what I like about the remarkable is that I can go back into the notes, they can stay handwritten, or I can have little bits appear in typed text to help it stand out more. I can draw my family trees on there, which I really like to do. So um, yeah, when I was buying my Remarkable, I couldn't find any discount codes and that was frustrating to me, but um, I have got a $40 off code. If you do want to try it out, and there's a 100 day quibble free returns as well. So if that is something you think might help you in terms of your organization, um, because you can save everything in separate folders um, and it's all can be password protected and all of that jazz. So um, yes, if you think that's something that would be useful, then do think about um, yeah, getting yourself a tablet and uh, there will be details in the show notes um, or you can send me a DM if you want that coupon code to get $40 off, uh, which I would have loved because I could not find any coupon codes anywhere when I was doing it. So I would say it's transformed my practice and I'm going to look at whether I can implement it into my clinical notes with clients. The only difficulty being is that I don't currently write clinical notes in sessions um, because I find it sometimes takes away something about what I'm doing with the client. So I'd need to think quite carefully about the way that I do that, especially as I'm being paid for that time by the client. Um, but yeah, I want to think about how I can do that in a way that suits my needs and doesn't take from the client and their session. So um, yeah, I would love any thoughts you've got about how you do your clinical notes and whether you found this episode useful, whether it's raised any thoughts for you really whether you are the sort of person that likes to write really long notes whether you're all about the brevity you know because we're all individually different but it might be that you're very much led by what your current supervisor's requirements are what I found is especially once qualified you um, can take the bits from certain jobs or placements that you do like and anything that doesn't work for you doesn't sit you can leave behind when you leave um, and then so long as you're following the guidance of any new supervisor 
um, until you're qualified you can pretty much do um, what you like what works for you because you're allowed to develop your own personal style and flair as well so if you would welcome more advice and guidance about so many different topics um, we've also got stuff um, coming up in the membership about logical and um, deductive reasoning which i know is a big part of some declimsi um, testing processes so we've got um, a session happening on that to help develop confidence so um, by the time you listen to this it will have happened um, but you'd be able to access that on replay um, if that is something that you feel would be useful for you um, to develop your confidence and competence in that area we've also got loads of other stuff in there we've got um, seven or eight months worth of CBT teaching that you can work through. Uh, we've got loads of stuff on reflective practice. It's just a good place to hang out. Um, it's a really, really nice, supportive group of people. So do check out the Aspiring Psychologist membership, which you can join for £30 a month, which also gets you access to the back catalogue. Um, and you can leave, um, you know, whenever time suits you. For more information on that, do check out the show notes or um, check my socials and um, yeah, it will be available via my bio links. There's information about the membership. Do also please come along and join the free group on Facebook, which is the Aspiring Psychologist Community, brackets free group. Now, I think it says my name, so I'm Dr. Marianne Trent. Or come and connect with me on all of my social channels. I am now Dr. Marianne Trent. And I love helping you celebrate your wins and hearing what you think to the content that I produce. So again, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for being part of my world. I'm wishing you a lovely day, whatever you're up to. Take care. If you're looking to become a psychologist, and let this be your guide With this podcast at your side You'll be on your way to being qualified It's the Aspiring Psychologist Podcast With Dr. Marianne Trent My name is Diakolola Amujo I am a recent psychology graduate from Ireland. I am also an aspiring clinical psychologist. Dr. Marion's book, The Clinical Psychologist Collective, has been so helpful to me on this journey to becoming a clinical psychologist. As I plan to continue postgraduate studies in the UK, I found it extremely useful that this book provided in-depth information on the UK declinsi application process. I enjoyed reading about the experiences of both qualified and trainee clinical psychologists. The various narratives were my favorite part of the book, as everyone's story was different and it provided amazing insights into the clinical psychology journey. I would definitely recommend this book to anyone interested in psychology and aspires to become a clinical psychologist.